This morning, I want to do um, a message called, When a Nation Dethrones God. When a nation dethrones God, when they take God off of the throne. And if you find your place in 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his first son was Joel, and the name of the second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Oh, my word. Mm -mm -mm. Verse 4, then all the elders, everybody say the elders. All the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, look, you're old. I mean, come on. If you're old, you don't want to hear that, amen? If you're fat, you don't want to hear you're fat. And if you're skinny, you don't want to, if you're bald, come on, be kind, you know? It's like, you're old, old man, you're old. When I read that, I'm like, come on, guys, be kind here. So it's, look, you're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. What did he do? Samuel prayed. What should we do? Amen. That's a no-brainer right there. Verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people. The Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. You know, I know what I'm going to be preaching this morning. You'd be surprised how many references we made in our worship time to Jesus being our king and reigning over us. I believe we've got this thing right, church. Amen? And the message that we convey from this place needs to resonate through, throughout the world. Jesus is our king. Amen? He said, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. From reigning over them. Verse 8, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice, however, you shall solemnly warn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. Now, <clears throat> To get a better understanding of the role that David is going to play in history, I think it is needful that we grasp the events leading up to his reign. So today we're going to look at some of those events. In the last message I talked about the mercies of David and how his epitaph was that he was a man after God's own heart. You know, and we, we pointed out the fact that we're passing down things to our children. Amen. The things that you do doesn't just affect you. It affects many generations after you. I mean, David, 567 years after he was dead, his ungodly great-great-great-grandson, King Hezekiah, had the favor of God on his reign, not because of himself, but because of David. And so there's some important things about David, uh, but really to get a full grasp of what he was, what he was going to bring, it's, it's a good idea to lay some groundwork and let's uh, review some history. 
How many of you like to hear biblical history lessons? Come on, it's good. And I, and I know sometimes I repeat these things, but what I've learned is sometimes when I'm preaching, I love you, but you're not always listening. Right? Because you're thinking about, I know, because I sit there where you're sitting, and sometimes I'm like, what did he just say? You know, I have actually stopped and said, who heard what I just said? And nobody would raise their hand. <laughs> and so I would repeat it, you know. But anyway, repetition is our best teacher. And so I like to review history sometimes because if you hear it enough, you, I want you to be able to walk from this place and go witness to people and tell them things that you've learned here. And if repetition is your best teacher, then, then going over these things will help you. See, Israel didn't become an identifiable people until Abraham. It started with Abraham. And he was the father of, the Bible said he'd be the father of many nations. God called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees, which is modern day Iraq. And he said, you go in the land that I will show you and everywhere you go, I'm going to give to you and your inheritance as an everlasting possession. And I'm going to tell you what, the, <clears throat> the, the possession of the children of Israel is huge. If you look at all the places where Abraham traveled, it's bigger than the little 70 mile wide, 120 mile long nation of Israel. It's much bigger than that. But anyway, they became an identifiable people with Abraham. Now, he is a type of God the Father. His son Isaac is a type of God's, God the Son. It's a picture of the Trinity because Abraham sent Eleazar, his servant, which is a type of the Holy Spirit, to find a bride, which is a type of the church, amen, come on, and bring them back to his son. God's bringing us to, to Jesus Christ. He's the husband of the church, right? And so Rebecca, his wife came to him. She was a type of the spiritual church. <clears throat> they married. They had a son named Jacob who was later named Israel, who was a type of the body of Christ. He had 12 sons, which is a, a shadow. These are types and shadows we see in Scripture. It's prophetic imagery of what God's going to do. The 12 sons of Israel is like the 12 apostles that established the church. <clears throat> and then, of course, the, the whole nation was established through those 12 sons that became the 12 heads of the tribes of, of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so we see this nation being born. But the problem that we see, and we see it repeated throughout the children of Israel as well as in the church, is that the church has moments of spiritual revival. There's a spiritual outpouring when people learn to listen to God and obey God. See, a lot of times we know what he said. We just have a problem walking it out. Come on, there's a whole lot of churches preaching it. They're talking the talk. But there's a big difference between talking the talk and walking the walk. Amen. But if we will ever get it in our head to listen to what he says and do what he says, he always blesses his people. Yeah. He provides for you. He protects you. And we see that in the nation of Israel. We see it in the church. But we also see spiritual drought when people start serving other gods. And their, their love for the Lord grows cold. Just read in the book of Revelation, the seven churches. He had Ephesus. He said, I have this problem with you. You're doing all these great things, but you've left your first love. Return to that which you've left, he said. And we look at all the different churches. We look at Pergamos. He said, you've got those that teach the doctrines of the Balaamites and the teachings of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Yeah. You know, there was only two churches 
excuse me, that was faithful, the church of Smyrna, which was the martyr church, and the church of Philadelphia. And he said, because of your faithfulness, you're going to escape the tribulation that's going to come on the earth. Come on, that's me and you. That's a picture of the church that's walking faithful to God that he's taking out of here before the seven-year tribulation period. And then, of course, the martyr church. <clears throat> and then you got the church of Thyatira. He said, you got that woman Jezebel that, that seduces my prophets and teaches them to eat things sacrificed to idols. And you allow that in the church. Come on, sometimes we got to step in and take, take control over some situations that's going on when that Jezebel spirit starts operating in the church. Because just being kind to people is not doing the will of God. That's right. Sometimes you got to, you got to have some authority. And exercise that authority. I heard a good message on the way out the door this morning. I just jumped a rabbit and I'm going to run it, okay? He brought, man, he brought a good message. What is that guy's name? I don't even, the doctor something, Bradley something or other. I listen to him while I'm getting dressed for church. Mike, you listen to him every Sunday, don't you, brother? And he's a great teacher. He's faith camp now. There's some things he and I wouldn't agree on. But, but he does have, he's a great teacher. And he's talking about living out in the country. And he said, man, there's all kinds of stuff in my backyard. There's foxes and there's deer and all kinds of stuff. He said, my son leaves the garage door open. <clears throat> he said, if you leave the door open long enough, something's coming up in your house. And he said, I don't need to fast to get that door shut. I don't need to pray to get that door shut. All I need to do is exercise my authority. Yeah. And say, go shut the door. And the point he was bringing is, is sometimes when you leave the door open and you let stuff come up in here, I'm talking about a Jezebel spirit in the church, you need to exercise your authority and shut the door. Yeah. And, and the church at Thyatira didn't do that. So they, they had, see the thing about this is that one time there was revival in the church and they let it die. And then the, of course the last church, the church of Laodicea, he said, you're not hot, you're not cold, I would that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. And so we see this repeated through history. Churches that are on fire, churches that grow cold, the nation of Israel serving God, then they're chasing after other gods. So the message this morning is an example of how this occurs. Now, now let me tell you just as a side note, I believe that throughout all of this, there was always, always has been a remnant of people that loved the Lord and walked in obedience to God. Brother, I want to be counted in that number. Amen. Don't you? I honestly do. Now, <clears throat> this is a scene that is repeated throughout history. On a personal level, when people, individuals, you and I, were on and you're off, you're up, you're down, you're in, you're out, you're hot, you're cold. Come on, I want, to be, I want to be a plotter, not a sprinter. Amen? Come on, the tor tortoise and the hare, remember? Because there's some, there's some hares out here. Boy, they look flashy and good, but they just don't last. I'm telling you, there's some stuff that's labeled as revival. It doesn't last. I want to be a plotter. I want to be 20 years from now still serving Jesus. Amen? 50 years from now. I don't, I don't think I'll make it another 50, but... That would make me, what, 115? I don't think I'll make it that long. <clears throat> but till the day I die, I want to serve Jesus. Amen? How about you? And so we see that on a personal level, but we also see it on a national level. Christian nations. You know, at one time, America was a Christian nation. I mean, not just because we were called a Christian nation, because we honestly were a Christian nation. 
Now, and, and that was true with all the cities in the seven churches. They were Christian. But if you look at those places that in, in the seven churches of Asia, the, the actual literal physical places where those churches were, there's very little remnants or any kind of, of, uh, of uh, remembrance of that church or Jesus Christ or the influence of Christ today. Isn't that sad? That, that's sad to see that. So today, let's look at what's happening when a nation dethrones God. Can we do that? Father, we just thank you in Jesus' name that your word is always a now word, God. It's a yes word. Lord, I believe that you have confirmed your word today. I wasn't 100% confident that I had the right message. But Lord, as I came in and we began to worship you and we just kept talking about in our songs, Lord, how you're our king, God. You reign. And Lord, I believe that I have the right word for today. But Lord... I pinned down my thoughts on paper, God, as I was studying your word, and th these are thoughts that I, I have or uh, that I believe you gave me. But, Father, I pray today that the Holy Spirit will just come into this place, Lord, that you will just anoint this time. Anoint me as the speaker, God. Anoint each person as the hearer. Lord, I pray that uh, we will listen to what the Spirit is saying today. God, if there's something you want said that's not that I haven't prepared, God, then you speak. Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now. We bind every spirit that's not of you. Father, in Jesus' name, we drive it out of this place, God. And we ask for a freedom and a liberty uh, in your spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, just before David takes the throne, the nation had been led by God as their king. He was their king. <clears throat> and... Um, he is, he's ruled the nation ever since Moses through judges. Moses was his first, first of the list of judges. And um, the, the, the major difference between the judges and the kings is that the judges, they have a complete dependency upon God. All right, they're his spokesmen. They basically hear what God has to say. They bring that message to the people. They deliver it, and they let the people do whatever they're going to do with it. They really don't have any authority. The king, however, he reigns as a sovereign authority. He gives a command, and you obey that command or else. And so he is a sovereignty unto himself. While a judge is dependent upon God, the king is depending upon himself because he rules the nation. He doesn't have to listen to anybody, including God. So he thinks. And so before the kings came on the scene, God ruled the nation as their king through his judges. They were merely spokesmen for him. Now, uh, when they rebelled against the king, you die. You know, but when you rebel against God, it's no different. Amen. God's going to judge those who rebel against him. But he blesses those that obey him. And that is the message that we need to remember always. So up until now, God is the king of Israel. He's ruling through the judges. And we're going to fast forward through the judges from Moses to just before the kings take over a man named Eli. Now, Eli is the priest. And when, when the, the mother of Samuel, her name was Hannah, Hannah couldn't have children. She prayed, and she was at the altar actually praying, and Eli saw her lips moving, but she wasn't saying anything. And he thought that she was drunk, because he was so out of touch with the Spirit of God. Eli was God's judge, but he, had, he was a lazy, lazy judge. 
And so he sees Hannah praying and her lips moving and he rebukes her. She's like, no, I'm praying and asking God to give me a son. And so he says, well, then your, your prayer will be granted unto you. And what she said is, God, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. And she did. She brought Samuel to the temple and he grew up in the temple under Eli. Now, Eli had two sons called Hopni and Phinehas. And they were going to be judges in his place, but they were evil. They took bribes just like the sons of Samuel wanted to do. They took bribes and they were seducing women and they, they were just evil men. Now, when they went into battle, they were losing this battle because the favor of God was not on Israel because they were out of the will of God because of Eli, this wicked judge. All right, this lady, he wasn't wicked, he was just lazy. And the Bible says that God dealt with him because he would not discipline his sons. Now, that's a whole message I could get into, but I'm not going to get into. You're not doing your kids any favor by not disciplining them. Listen, every kid doesn't get a trophy. If you stink at baseball, tell him you stink at baseball. All right, I stink at basketball. I just can't play the stupid game. So I don't try. I shoot, I'm the airbag. I mean, I'm, I'm hitting, I miss everything. I just never could get that dumb game. All right, so I stink it. Listen, I learned a long time ago what no meant. Amen. My mom and dad taught me that very well. But I, I mean, from my youngest years, I can remember hearing them say, you're big enough that your wants don't hurt you. Anybody ever heard that? But I want this and I want that. You're big enough, your wants don't hurt you. Sit down and shut up. And brother, you better sit down and shut up too now, I'm going to tell you. But I, I told you I wasn't going to preach on that. <clears throat> but Eli, he was lazy. In the nation of Israel, they're outside of the will of God. Now, Hophni and Phinehas, they go into battle. They're losing the battle, so they think, bring the Ark of the Covenant. They use it as a good luck charm. They brought it into the battle. Hophni was killed. Phinehas was killed. And the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines. And they took it to their cities. They came back. They told Eli, your sons have both been killed in battle and the Ark of the Covenant has been taken. When he heard that, he fell over, broke his neck and died because he was very heavy. <clears throat> and then the Bible says that his daughter-in-law gave birth to a child and his name was Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. Speaking of the Ark of the Covenant being taken. Now the, the Philistines took this and they thought it's great treasure. We have got the most valued possession of the Israelis. And they took it into their, their pagan god, Dagon, and set it before this pagan god. They come in the next morning and Dagon fell over on his face in front of the ark. So they set him back up. The next day they come in and he fell over and his heads broke off in the palms of his hands. All of the people are plagued with hemorrhoids and we believe something to do with mice because they had, they made, man, this is a real pain. You hear what I'm saying? <laughs> so they get it out of that city and send it to another. Well, they wind up sending it to five different cities and everybody is plagued with the same thing. And so they said, what are we going to do with this thing? So well, we need to get it back to the Jews. So how are we going to do it? So they took two cows that had calves that had never been yoked. They put a yoke on them put the ark on the cart and sent them down the road, said, if, it, if they take it home, we know it's the will of God. 
And the Bible says that they headed straight to Jerusalem, lowing as they went. Because I don't know if you know, if you take calves away from a cow, they will bawl all night long. Anybody ever been on a farm, you know what I'm talking about? You pull the steers off of them. I know my neighbor's a farmer. And we can always tell when he's done took the steers off and carried them to the market. Because all night long, all you hear is, all night long. And so here these cows are pulling the cart down, and then the Ark of the Covenant comes to the children of Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 6. Look at this. It says, Now the people of Bashemus was reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted up their eyes and saw the Ark, and they rejoiced to see it. Now when the Ark of the Covenant came back, they looked inside of the Ark of the Covenant. Now that's another message I won't have time to get into, but you just don't touch God's glory. And it was a result of that 50,070 men were struck dead by God because they looked into the Ark of the Covenant. Not all 50,000. Now, he just, he's like, you did what? I'm going to tell you what. I want God to be my king. You can drop a nuclear bomb, but all God has got to do is just think it. And brother, he can wipe out the whole mess. You know what I'm saying? He is one, I mean, he's got an angel that can kill 70,000 men with one swipe of his sword. He did it. He is one sure enough bad king. I mean, bad enough, you know what I mean by bad, don't you? I mean, he is tough. That's a youth slogan. Bad means good. Boy, that's confusing, isn't it? <clears throat> so then they just, what are we going to do with this thing? 50,070 men died. We, they don't want to get near it. And so the men of, of Kirjath-Jerim comes and they take the Ark of the Covenant and they take it to the house of Abinadab where it will sit for 20 years until David actually goes and gets it. We won't get into that this morning. And he consecrates his son Eleazar to be the keeper of the Ark. Now, <clears throat> Eli is dead at this point. And so now Samuel comes on the scene. Now, I want you to see the very first sermon that he preaches to the people. Are you with me? Say amen. First Samuel chapter 7. And I want us to get this because this is the message to the church. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel. Now, that's the type of the church. This is God's people. I'm not, now listen, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I got a problem with this morning. I'm not saying that I believe in replacement theology. I don't. In other words, replacement theology, some people believe that the church is Israel, that we've taken Israel's place. No, God, God, here's what I need. God deals with Israel and God deals with the church separately. They are two completely independent and different things. So I'm not suggesting that we are Israel, but we are a type of Israel. We're God's people are in this setting here. Then Samuel spoke to the house of Israel, which is a type of the church, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Asteros, that's the, that's the fertility god. I've told you she had many names, Esther being one of those, and many other names, um, from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. In our case, that is the type of, uh, of the enemy that is trying to destroy your soul. Verse 4 says, So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Asherahs and served the Lord only. 
The message is really very clear. If you will listen to God and do what he says, he will bless you. Period. Amen? It's a very simple message, but so complex. So hard for the church to get their minds wrapped around it somehow. Now, the very day that Samuel preached this, the Philistines heard that they were gathering to make sacrifice, and they came against them. And the people came and said, Samuel, call unto the Lord for us. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10, look at it. Now, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. Now, I tried to picture that in my mind. Some of this would make some awesome movies, wouldn't it? I got a feeling the sun was shining. It doesn't say. I don't believe it was a thunderstorm. I believe they're marching against Israel and all of a sudden, man, the heavens just begin to quake and scare the bejeebies out of these people. Whatever happened, they were defeated by the Israelis that day because God did this. I'm going to tell you, when you let God rule, he will take care of business now. So why would the people want a king when you got a God like that? I mean, he's provided for them. He provides protection. He gives them provision. He gives them security. He gives them lands. As a possession, he gives them fields that they did not plan clear. He gave them houses that they didn't build. I mean, this is a pretty awesome king. Why would they say, we don't want God to be king. We want a king like all the other nations. Look at it in verse 5. It says, now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Verse 7, it says, and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people, for they have, in all that they say to you, for they not rejected you, but they've rejected me that I should not reign over them. What did they want? They wanted to be like all the other nations. So what were all the other nations like? What were they like? I'm going to tell you what they were like. They were idolaters. They were pagans. They worshipped pagan gods, which meant they worshipped, for example, the god of Molech. The God of Molech was the God of sexual pleasure. They would take a brazen image of Molech, his arms held out like this, set him in a fire and heat him up till his arms were glowing hot. And they would take their live children and lay them on the arms of Molech and give human burnt sacrifices of their own children so that they could enjoy more pleasure when they had sex. Church, I'm here today to tell you that America worships the God Molech and it's called abortion. People will take their children and kill them because it's not convenient to have a child. I want to get back to business. They have fornicated. They've got a baby and they don't even know who the daddy is to start with, half of them. But they want that out of the way so they can keep partying like a bunch of wild alley cats. I am, I, am I exaggerating here? It's pagan worship. The God Baal, which is the prosperity God, that has crept into the church. The, I call it the name and claim it, blab it and grab it group. I know, I used to be a part of that. There is truth in the confession of your mouth. But listen, this, this teaching of prosperity in the church is way off scale. 
I'm telling you, it's Baal worship. It's worshiping money. Listen, I don't want prosperity. I want the will of God in my life. Well, I could get on a soapbox with that real quick. Show me the prosperity of the 12 apostles. They died all over the place, beat to death with clubs, spears, crucified upside down, boiled in oil. I don't see the prosperity message in that, but I do see the will of God. I'm going to tell you right now, in my father's house, they're going to have mansions. Amen. Come on. They're going to have wealth there beyond measure. Man, we're only here. You're like a vapor of smoke. What is all this about anyway? This is just a preparation for eternity. And brother, I want to pass the test. Man, I want to hear him say, well done, Bernie. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom that I have prepared for you. And even then I said, I'd be happy just to clean up the stall where his stallion stands. That big white stallion, he's going to ride when he comes back. I'd be happy just to brush that thing. Just let me in, God, okay? I'll live in the barn. I don't care. I don't know what he's got for me, but I know it's going to be better than here. So why do they want another God? They want to fulfill the lust of their flesh. Brother Ken hit on it last week. See, we're drawn away by our lust. First John says it this way, chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Church, I'm going to tell you right now, every time we're tempted, we're tempted in one of those three areas. From the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, the lust of the eye, see the tree that it is good. It's good to eat the lust of the flesh, to make one wise, the pride of life. The same thing happened when Jesus was tempted. He said, turn these stones into bread if you're the son of God, the lust of the flesh. Feed your flesh. Then he took him up on a high place and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, the lust of the eye. Bow down and worship me and I will give these to you. Then he took him up on the pinnacle, said, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself off, God, as it is written. He shall give his angels charge over thee to lift thee up lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. The pride of life. Church, we're always tempted in those three areas. They taught us in Bible college, be aware of the three G's. Girls, gold, and glitter. Girls, that's the lust. I mean, come on, boy. There's some babes out there and they will put the move on you. Men, come on. Listen, I'm just being real. We're men, we're, we're attracted by our vision. You better watch out for that because, man, it, look, you think you can get away with it. Let me tell you, the number one rule to keep you from having an affair. Are you ready for this? They always tell. You hear me? You think you're going to do it on the down low? Nobody will know. <laughs> they always tell, guys. Beware girls. Guys, girls, I don't know how you think, but beware guys. Because they put, I love you, baby. Because that's what you want. You want a relationship. You want love. He don't love you. He loves what you can do for him. 
All right? Gold. You know, wealth. We run after wealth instead of the will of God. Glitter. That's the, the, the pride of life. You know, I want power. I want position. I want prestige. I want recognition. Beware of those things because this is what we're seeing happen with King Saul. Man, I better hurry up here. With King Saul. Because now they're asking for a king. So God's going to give them what they asked for. Remember, he told Samuel, he said, tell them. Heed to their voice. All right. They want a king? All right. All right. Listen, if I'm asking God something and it's not his will, and he said, all right, go ahead. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Because I know the first year I pastored this church, all right, every Sunday without fail, I would pray and God, God, give me a word. What's a, what, and every Sunday, the Lord had me preach on raising a standard, living holy, and, and godly lives, and repentance. Raising a standard, living holy, living godly lives. And I mean, every Sunday, and then one Sunday, I'm like, God, I can't preach that. I've, I've been preaching that for weeks. And I heard this in my spirit. All right, then preach what you want to preach. I'm like, no, no, no. No, I don't want to do that either. Because God, sometimes God will give you what you ask for. You better be, be careful what you ask for. Amen? We need to be asking for the will of God in our life. You know, people walking around brick houses, naming and claiming, jet airplanes and this and that. No, I want what God wants for me. He may want you to live in a mud hut in Mozambique. You know, be another Heidi Baker. Not live on a mansion up on a hillside with your Cadillacs and your jet airplanes. I better be, I'd leave that alone. It is a whole sermon in itself, indeed. So, the, so they asked for a king, and they got what they wanted. First Kings chapter, uh, First Samuel, sorry, chapter eight, verse ten. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king, and he he said, "This will be the behavior." Because remember, he told them to warn them. You give them what they want, but you tell them what they're getting, all right? This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He's going to take your sons. He's going to appoint them to his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over the thousands, captain over the fifties. Now, you got to picture this. He's already taken thousands of your sons. And some of them he's going to take and appoint over those thousands of your sons that he's taken for himself. And some over 50s. He will set some to plow his ground. <laughs> I'd rather plow my own ground, thank you very much. And reap his harvest. And some will make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. So he's going to be having factories and manufacturing going on all for his benefit. <clears throat> In Psalm verse 13, he's going to take your daughters to be perfumers, <laughs> cooks, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields. Now, I want to keep that field. No, you got to give it to me. I'm the king. I want that field. All right. He's going to take your vineyards, your olive groves, and he's going to give them to his servants. Church, listen to me. That goes in politics all the time right now. Yeah. 
inside dealing because you helped me in my campaign and I'm going to slip this under the table to you, but I'm going to take it from the American people. You help me in my campaign, you get all of this, I'm going to rob the American people through taxes and everything, and I'm going to hand it back to you under the table. We pray for a king, and you get what you ask for, amen? You get exactly what you ask for. Verse 15, and he will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and his servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys and put them to his work. And he will take a tenth of your sheep and you will, and you will be his servants. That word servants means his slaves. He's going to make the whole nation his slaves. And you want a king? And they're like, we certainly do. <laughs> we certainly do. What, what is it about man that he thinks he has a better idea than God does? But we do. God was their king. He provided for them. He blessed them. He protected them. Under him, you can keep all of your daughters and your sons and your vineyards and your fields, all of your donkeys and your, your livestock. You can keep all of that. Your grove, olive groves and stuff, it's all yours and you can keep it. You give the Lord his tenth. I'm going to tell you, God's got a pretty good deal. You make 100%, give him 10% and you can keep the rest. Amen? Did you know, and, and I, I never preach on money, but it just occurred to me, I heard it said that if the church, everybody that professes to be a Christian, if the church alone, those in America who profess to be a Christian, would every one of them tithe, that the church would be so wealthy that we could do away with the entire health system in America because the church could pay for everybody's health care. If the church, every person that professed Christ were tithers. Isn't that something? And, and God's got a good deal, but now not only do you got to give God his 10%, you got to give all this stuff to, to the king, you know, but under God, he lets you keep all of that. All he asks is for 10%. That'd make a good tax law in America, a 10% tax, straight, straight tax, wouldn't it? I think I'll run for president on that. Y'all want to vote for me? I don't want to be king, believe me. I heard one guy say, he said, I'm not a king, I'm a king maker. I don't, I don't want to be king. But they said, no, give us a king. Verse 19, <clears throat> nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us <clears throat> that, we may all be, that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and we go out and go out before us and fight our battles. I mean, God's already fighting your battles, people. My Lord. So Saul, <clears throat> Saul was the king that they selected. You know why God chose him? He was a head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He's like, oh, you want a king? All right, let's see. All right, here's a guy. There's none like him, the Bible says. Not meaning that he was really, really special. He was just taller than everybody else. 
And also, the guy had a horrible inferiority complex. I don't know, maybe he was made fun of being so tall and lanky or something. I don't know, but he, he had a horrible inferiority complex. In fact, and it's a long story, I won't go into it, but God told Samuel, I'm going to send the guy to you. Well, his father, Kish, had lost his donkeys, and he sent Saul to look for him. And he's looking here, he's looking there, and he can't find him anywhere. So one guy says, well, there's a seer over here, talking about Samuel. Because before they were called prophets, they were called seers. We still have seers today, by the way. Did you know that? It's the people that see things, actually, just like they're watching a movie in the realm of the Spirit. Now, some of that can be demonic. All right, we've got to be careful with that. Not everything that comes down that says it's Holy Spirit is Holy Spirit. And let me just throw this in as a tidbit. Things that are called a move of God or, or Spirit of God, or uh, that falls under, I put it under three categories. This is just my summation, okay? Put it under three categories. There are those that are a genuine, authentic move of the Spirit. All right? It's genuine, it's authentic move of the Spirit. And then there are those things that people will, they have a certain level of expectation and passion and excitement. I saw this in Lakeland, Florida. They, they had what they call a revival. It was a move of God. And God actually did show up and do some things. But I can tell you right now, it had zero to do with what was going on on that stage. Because when I saw it, my, my wife and my mom was watching it on TV and and they were locked in, you know, because they were moved by the healings and the miracles and the signs and wonders that was taking place at these meetings. But when I walked in, I'm telling you, there's been a few times in my life that I know I heard the voice of the Lord. No, this wasn't Brownsville. This is in Lakeland, Florida. This is after Brownsville. And they're watching this Todd Bentley. I'll tell you who the guy was, tattooed all that. And I got nothing against his tattoos. God, I mean, God can use anybody. All right, and if you got tattoos, I mean, that's between you and God. I'm not saying that's bad. Thought about getting me one. This bod belongs to Gigi. But I didn't get it. She wouldn't let me. Got to be careful of those things because sometimes you put a teardrop, when you get old, it turns into a waterfall, you know. So. But I walked by and saw this, and if I've ever heard from God, I heard from it that day, and the Lord says, beware of strange fire. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on there, but I'm going to tell you right now, that is not the Spirit of God. All right, so there's things that is an authentic move of the Spirit. There are things that's just passion. People went there with such a level of expectation that God honored their faith. People were being healed. It had nothing to do with what was going on up here. They're praying for each other out there, and God is doing miracles. All right? So there are things that's, that's passing, and sometimes it's just flesh. You know, people are just exilious. They're zealous, and, and, and I don't mean this in a bad way. It's hype. They're hyped up, you know, but it is all, it all looks the same. It looks like a move of God, and it's, it's, it's a move of the Spirit, authentic, or it's, or it's passion, it's flesh, or number three, it's an authentic, genuine move of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, what's the difference? Brother, there's some spirits out there that we think is holy because he comes as an angel of light. He comes as a wolf dressed in sheep's clothing and he can deceive even God's very elect. So don't think you always, well, I know it was a move of God. Really? Really? 
I'm going to tell you how you can, you'll know that it's a move of God. Time. And time is the only thing that will reveal it because you have to study the fruit of that move to tell if it was genuine from the Holy Spirit or not. You can't tell me a week from now that it's a move of the Spirit or a month. It takes time for the fruit of that to unveil. So that, that's just as a side note. And so, and so these people, that they're, they're looking for... for um, a king and God I don't know where I'm at here on these notes but I'm going to try to get back on my message here but hey, listen when I prayed before I said God if there's something you won't say it you say it alright is it alright if we let the Holy Spirit just take us in a different direction are you I left off where oh he's taller than everybody else okay Oh, I know what it was. It, Saul, he, was, he had an inferiority complex. When, when they finally, Samuel anoints him. He's, he's looking for his father's donkeys, and they, they said, there's a seer there. That's where I was at, the seer. And so they go, and, and they ask Saul, where's the donkeys? He said, your donkeys have already been found. And he, I mean, he gives them specific. You're going to go home, and on the way, you're going to meet this, and you're going to run that, and you're going to run into some people prophesying, and the Spirit of God's going to come on you, Saul, and you're going to prophesy. And people are going to say, is Saul one of the prophets? You know, and Saul, all these things was a sign to show Saul that God had chosen him as the king. And on his way home, all these things were fulfilled. But when he got home, his uncle said, how was your trip? And he told him everything, but he didn't tell him that, that Samuel had poured the oil on him and anointed him to be the king of Israel. And so when Samuel comes to town to coronate him as king, he is over here hiding behind the stuff. He was a coward. Their king is a coward. I'm going to get into that in the future when, when Goliath is out there. He is not challenging the nation of Israel. He's challenging Saul. And he's in his tent hiding. Because he's a big coward. That's your king. You're going to trade God for that. So he becomes the king and Saul fails to obey God. And like every earthly kingdom, it fails. God tells him, I want you to go into the camp of the Amalekites. And you have to understand, the Amalekites represents everything that is evil. Because these were some evil, evil, evil people. And, and it's hard for us to read this and, and understand what is being said because he tells him, I want you to go into the, the Amalekites and I want you to kill everything in the city. You kill all the men, you kill all the women, you kill all the children, you kill the sucklings. Now, that's hard for me to get my mind wrapped around, but you got to understand that suckling is evil, going to grow up into another evil Amalekite. And, and they spared them, and they grew up, and they did exactly that. It's interesting, at the end of, of King Saul's life, you know who killed him? The Amalekites. God said, go into the Amalekites and kill everything in there. Kill the cattle, kill the oxen, kill the camels, kill the sheep, kill everything. And so they go in, and instead of killing everything, this is what God commanded them. He keeps King Agag, the best of the sheep, and the best of the flocks. So Samuel shows up, and Saul comes running out and said, Hail, thy mighty man of God, we have done all that the Lord has commanded. Did you see how people can be deceived? 
Because in his mind, he had obeyed God. Come on, church, we can be that we can be that deceived, thinking we're right in the center of God's will. And Samuel says, if you've done what the Lord has commanded you, what is the lowing of cattle and the bleeding of sheep in my ear? Then Saul, indicative to his nature, never took the blame for anything. He said, well, the people saved the best sheep, but I have destroyed all the rest. Read it. 1 Samuel chapter 15, read it for yourself. But I have done all the rest. And then he said, well, I feared the people. <laughs> yeah, you did, because you're a big scaredy cat. And I heeded to their voice. And so Samuel comes out and he said, King Agag said, surely the blood is passed. He's like, just like you have made women childless, your mama going to be childless tonight. And the Bible says that he took a sword and he hacked him to death. <laughs> That'd make some great movies. Do they make a movie of that? Anybody aware of? If they do it, I'm going to buy it. That's, that's got to be a good movie. Now, he blamed everybody of, of everything. His, his sin wasn't just that. He, he, was, he was a king. He wasn't a priest. And the, priests was, the prophets were supposed to offer up sacrifice. And so he's waiting for Samuel to come. They're getting ready to go into battle, and he's wanting to have a sacrifice and, and go before God, which is what they did before they went into battle. Well, Samuel's late getting there. So Saul said, bring me the, the, the sacrifice, and he sacrifices it himself. And Samuel comes and says, Saul, what have you done? And that's when he said, well, I feared the people. He said, he's blaming everybody but himself. And I did this. He said, because of what you've done, God has rejected you. And he turns around and Samuel and King Saul grabs his garment and tears it. And he said, just as you have rent my garment, God has rent the kingdom from your hand and will raise up another in your place. That's the king that they asked for. Later on, David, the Bible says that at that point, he was vexed with an evil spirit from the Lord. You say, what is God doing with evil spirits? Listen, God is, he is in charge of everything. There's no demon that can run around and just do whatever he wants to do. What the demonic realm does, they do by the permissive decree of God. See, everything is done by God's decree. All right, let me give you another little lesson here. You ready? Everything is done by God's decree. It is either done by his efficacious decree which means it's, he's decreed it and nothing will ever change it. Jesus is coming back again. That is an efficacious decree of God. Or he lets things, things are done by his permissive decree. He allows it to take place. And so a demon can't just do what they want to do. They do what God allows them to do. And so this demon is given this specific order to harass King Saul because of what he did. He was vexed with an evil spirit from the Lord. And so when this evil spirit would come upon him, his people said, you need to seek out someone that plays the harp that they can soothe you and calm you down when this spirit comes upon you. And that's how David comes into the picture. He brings this little boy in because he plays the harp. And David from his childhood is singing and worshiping the Lord as a shepherd boy out in the field. I, I like what, uh, what Ken Bertram said last week. He said that, that John the Baptist was on the backside of the desert. He wasn't locked into the news broadcast. Amen. Come on. He was out here where he could hear from God. Sometimes we need to turn off the box. Amen. Sometimes you need to turn this off. Amen. 
we spend more face time with God and less face time on Facebook. Oh, boy, I'd have stumped on somebody's toes. <clears throat> now, are you hearing me say, oh, me? It's true. We're guilty. We go to Cracker Barrel, the best restaurant in town, right? <laughs> All right? Bring our food out. Lord, thank you for our food. We're sitting a minute and a half maybe saying a blessing. And then we're sitting there, we ain't even talking to each other now. We're, she's on Facebook. I'm, I'm Googling Craigslist or something. We'll spend two minutes talking to God, thanking him for our food, and 10 minutes, 20, 15, 20 minutes on. Come on now. I don't know what that's got to do with my message. So David comes in and he plays the harp because he's been, I know what it is, he was out in the wilderness, so he's communing with God. So he comes in and he plays the harp and he soothes this demon spirit when it comes upon Saul. But <clears throat> David grows up and now he becomes a soldier. He kills Goliath and, oh, you know, we'll talk about that later. And then he goes out into battle and he becomes a general in the army. And they come riding back in on their victorious ride and people saying, Saul has killed his thousands. And David has killed his ten thousands. And Saul, he had NPD. How many of you know what NPD is? That is a narcissistic personality disorder. He was a narcissist. He wanted all the glory. And now they're giving it to David. And the Bible says that he had an evil eye towards David. And for the rest of David's life, he had to run for his life because Saul meant to kill him. He tried over and over to kill him. So this is the king that you're asking for. So David is an example of God's mercy. After we've had a king like that, I'm ready for, some, for, for God to intervene and God's mercy to come in. Amen? Yeah. Verse six, chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king. You got to see this. The people asked for the king. God said, all right, give them what they want. But now God is saying, all right, since it is a kingdom, the very first thing that Jesus said is repent for the kingdom of God has come. Who is our king? Come on, we started out singing about it. Who is our king? Really, who is our king? Jesus is our king, all right? And this is a type of what God is saying. I provided a king for myself. David was a type of God's mercy on the nation. He's going to provide a king to rule as Jesus will rule. That's why one reason I want to get into the life of David. There's so much to learn from this. Because nations rise, nations fall, national leaders come and they go. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall, kings come and kings go. But always, God was and is and always will be the king of kings. Now, the Bible says if people will serve him and him only, that he'll destroy their enemies. He's going to bless them. He's going to give them favor. We see that in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people 
that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvaag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.